sometimes God does things for us that are just like perfect timing, like sending Jesus among others. But when I walked in the sanctuary earlier, I was like, I really was distracted. I was distracted by something. And I walked down this side over here, and um, I came by Brother Steve, and Brother Steve asked me, he says, could we put some of those? All right, maybe not. The monitors on my mic need to be turned off. Um, asked Brother, Brother Steve asked me, could we put one of those tray tables down? Like for I said, no, what we need to do is we need to put in the front row first-class seating like on the airplanes, Miss Jerry. You remember how, what we would have done to get in those seats? And then everybody would sit up front. And we could charge personal seat licenses for them. And that would solve the budget crisis. So I have this plan in my mind. And then what we'll do is every week we'll just add them to the next row back. And sooner or later everybody will be in first class. And then I walk past my wife. And y'all, y'all, in your bulletin, you have the handouts that we do every week. And kids, remember, we're still doing those. So last week, I only got two or three. But make sure you're filling those out. And so I walk past, and Deanna's looking at it. I want you to look at your, your handout. The first line on there says, you are on the blank. All right? Well, when she read it, she read, you are the blank. And so as I walk past, she says, I know this one. I look, she's laying down. She says, I know this one. This one is, you are the bomb. And I said, Deanna, read that again. You are on the bomb. Probably not. And God put a smile and a laugh in my heart. Perfect timing. He works in such a way that he's always there to move in our lives when we need him to move. Amen? Uh, And I'm grateful for that because I mess up enough stuff on my own. I really do need God to to bail me out. And so, yeah, sometimes I am on the bomb, or at least I feel like I am. So we're still in our our first John study, and today we're going to be talking about time to practice. And so, you know, Emma, where's Emma at? Emma back there, she's on the volleyball team at her school. And Luke, Luke's on the volleyball team, and Dakota and, and Nathan, if I don't know, I don't see them. They're on the football team at their school. And um, who else is on a, on an activity on a, on a sports team or something? Anybody else that I missed? Evan, Evan where's Evan? Oh, Evan's not. But Evan's on Evan's on a football team, and and so I've been on teams before, and you can't tell it now. But when I was in high school, I played basketball. And no, I wasn't a basketball. I just look like it now. And so um, I played basketball. And in South Louisiana, our gym in the summer got very hot. We did not have air conditioning. And not only is it very hot, but Brother Adrian, I think it's fair to say, it's very fair to say um, that it's also very humid. And so we would go in there and practice, Brother Willie, was miserable. Can I tell you, it was miserable. And we had these little sponge mop things that we had to mop the floor, because if you fell on the floor, it was going to be wet from all the sweat. I'm about to, un- I'm about to unplug that thing. Um, and so we would go to practice, 
And by the time practice was over, you knew if you had done anything at all like you were supposed to, you knew that you were going to be more prepared than the next person that you played against. Because if you practiced in our gym as hot as it was, you didn't really have to worry too much about being hot and tired in the games at night. And our coach, God bless him, he's in heaven now. He died a couple of years ago. Our coach believed in practicing hard, Brother Richard. And we did some stuff that I still don't believe that they let us do legally. We would jump rope for five minutes. And then he would take the benches off the side and he'd put them out in the middle of the court. And we would have to jump on the bench and off the bench and on the bench and off the bench. On the bench and off the bench for five minutes. And then we would take a basketball and we would bounce it off the goal. We would jump up in the air, catch it, bounce it off, and keep doing that repeatedly until we missed. And you didn't want to be the first one to miss. And we practiced and we practiced and we practiced and we practiced because practice makes perfect, right? No. Perfect practice makes perfect. And we were never perfect in practice, so we were never perfect in the game. But the goal was to be ready for the game. Brothers and sisters, our goal is to be ready for the game. And so whether you're in volleyball or whether you're in basketball or football, whether you're on the cheerleading squad or the color guard or, or whether you're, you're practicing your golf swing, Brother Jim, the goal is so that when the game time starts, you're ready. Church, the game is on. The game is on. I would love to tell you that it's time to keep practicing. And we're going to talk about practice. But I have to tell you that once the season starts, practice has become even more important than the preseason. Because it's in those moments when you're already tired, when you've already shown your weakness, when you've gotten shown up in a game, and when you feel like you're not sure if you can make it anymore, that's when true character is revealed, and that's when what's real about the team becomes obvious. And so the game has started. The reality is we are living out our faith today in front of people, and the consequences of the decisions that we make can be eternal. This week we mourned September 11th. In staff meeting, we talked about where we all were on that day. And each of you remember, probably, if you're old enough, you remember where you were on that day. You probably even remember some of the sounds and some of the smells of that day. If you go back further than my time, you probably remember where you were when JFK was killed. Momentous occasions seem to cement within us an understanding of our mortality. And we think about 3,000 or so of our fellow countrymen who died on September 11th, and we mourn that rightfully so. But every single day, 
thousands more than that enter eternity without Jesus Christ. And we never even notice unless it touches us. Guys, it's time to practice. The game has started. It's time to practice. First John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Would you stand with me as we read from God's Word this morning? Now remember, we talked last week about not loving the world, and we have to love our neighbor as ourself. And so he cha- begins chapter 3. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. You know what he appeared in or, that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. Now he who abides in him sins. No one who, sees him, who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. And the one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we begin to prepare our hearts for the game that has eternal stakes that you've called us to. Lord, I pray that you help us prepare ourselves, that we put our hearts to practice your righteousness and your holiness, that we realize how important those things are. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. All right, so since I don't have control, Luke... You're going to have to keep up with me. And so I'm going to do my best to kind of cue you in. Here's your first point in your outline so you can write them down. Remember, kids, put your names on them and turn them in to me. You're on the team. Verses 1 through 3, John, First John here. I think it's the subwoofer that's catching me. All right. Maybe that's better. We'll see. I'm just going to stay away from over there. I'm just going to talk to you all from back here. Yeah, yeah. Deanna's on the bomb, so I want to stay away. Um, the first three verses here, John says, I want you to realize just what's going on here. You are on the team. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us? That we have been called children of God. You remember back when you were in elementary school and they were in PE and everybody dressed out and they all go outside and the the PE teacher says, okay, um, uh, Brother Philip, we're going to make you a team captain. Brother George, we're going to make you a team captain. 
Um, there's, there's 14 of us. Um, so you, you choose six to be on your team. You choose six to be on your team. Seven and seven is 14. And, and let's choose teams. And then they started choosing teams. And somebody was always standing in the back. There was generally two or three people. And they're all standing in the back and they're like this. And whoever's choosing the teams are like, not looking there, not looking there. I'm not making eye contact with them. And ultimately, somebody always gets picked what? Last. And that person has to feel like, oh, man. Somebody's going to be the last one picked on God's team. I don't know when that's going to be. Somebody's going to be the last person to enter into his kingdom. That person's going to be every bit as much a part of the team as the first person. You're on the team. You made it. So Karis tried out for color guard this week. She doesn't know if she's on it or not yet. She's hoping she is. She doesn't know. When she goes to school tomorrow, she's probably going to run straight to the bulletin board to look on the list to see if her name is on the list. She wants to know, is she on the team or not? Listen, see how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that He has chosen us for His team. You're part of a team that God has chosen. And if God has chosen you, that's your next blank, I want you to think about what that means. That means that now you have the same right as every other person on that team. Now, in the sports leagues, and especially in the professional leagues, after the games have all been played and somebody's crowned the champion, whether it's the the World Series or the NBA Championship or the Super Bowl or the Stanley Cup or whatever it is, all of the people that are affiliated with that team generally get a big, ugly, gaudy ring. Nobody wants the ring because it's attractive. They want it because it's worth a lot of money. And this big, gigantic championship ring that they only wear when they're trying to impress people. You know that even the person that didn't get into the game, in the championship game, gets the same ring? You're on the team, guys. God has no people that he says, yeah, I guess they can come, but we're not going to really play them, and they're, they're not important. No, God chose you if you're a child of God. He chose you. He wants you to be a part of what he's doing. And he did not choose you just simply because you were the last one left and somebody had to take you. He picked you because he has a purpose for your life. He's chosen you to work through you to bring great glory to His name. God, the Almighty, the Magnificent One, who spoke into existence all that was. Brother Willie, you talked about it in Sunday school class. Who is so amazing that even though He could have just stepped into history, He decided to come as a child. The God who sent ahead the notice of everything that was going to happen. That magnificent, unstoppable God believes that he can use you to bring glory to himself. What kind of love is that? I mean, after all, Emma, I know me. I know my failures. I know my sin. I know things about me you don't know about me. 
I know things about me my wife doesn't know about me, or at least I hope she doesn't. And God still loves me. Not because I am worthy, but because He is that magnificent and that mighty. If that is true about God, how amazing should we feel? Man, that should change everything. We went from being the one sitting in the back saying, please somebody take me. To imagine that same scenario where the best athlete in all of the class chose you first. Because he counted on you. God's counting on you. You've been chosen. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us? But not only does he just bestowed this love on us, but listen, that you would be called, what? Children of God. I have five children. Amelia and her boyfriend, Josh, to point him out over there. And Taylor and Stephen and Luke and Karis. They're my children. And there's nothing I can do about it. I can't cut them. In the sports world, there are people that, yeah, they're on the team, but, you know, they're done. They're not worth it. No. God has chosen you, and you cannot, look at your next one, be cut from his team. You're his child. And just like I could no more, no longer be biologically related to Taylor than I could, I, you know, he may make me aggravated. Yes, that happens. I probably make him aggravated too. He he may make me extremely annoyed. I may even want to tell him to move out. But it doesn't change the biological identity that is true in him. And as children of God, nothing undoes that new birth. You've been adopted. You've been purchased. You've been bought at a price. You are no longer your own. And if you are a child of God, you're on the team and you can't be cut. Because let me tell you, there have been times that if I had been the coach, I might have even cut myself. And there have definitely been times I would have cut other people. Let's be honest. You're on the team. But, Karis, I have bad news for you. Your coach did not send me the list. But once you're on the team, the real work begins. You see, making the team is only part of it. The real work begins once you're on the team. It's easy to say... I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And let me tell you, that's really what it's all about. It's about saying yes to His offer. For by grace are you saved through faith. We talked about it in Sunday school this morning. It's easy to say yes to His offer. And a lot of people out there think, well, I can just kind of coast through the rest of my life. But let me tell you, if you're going to be on the team, if you're really on the team... That's not how it works. It's not how it works. 
Paul says in Romans, if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we want to say, oh, Jesus is my Savior, Brother Gene. Hallelujah! He saved my soul. But let me tell you, there's more to it than just Savior. You see, that word Lord matters. And if it doesn't matter to you, it matters to Him. Because what God wants to know is, if you're on my team, are you going to be all in on my team? Are you going to surrender? Am I going to get to be the coach? Or are you going to decide what plays we're going to run? Because if I put you in the game, and I call the play, and you don't run the right play, I'm going to pull you out of the game. The real work begins once you're on the team. You've got to do something. You can't just stand there and watch. I mean, I could just imagine, Matthew, if, if God ever gave me the opportunity to, and he probably, well, not probably, he will not. I'm just going to say it. There are certain things I don't believe is in God's will for my life anymore, Brother Willie. But if he gave me the opportunity to be on an NBA team in an NBA championship in game seven, Can I just be honest with you? I would probably be like, actually, I'd be like, I would probably be frozen and in awe, and I'd be useless. It's not until we really apply ourselves that we're of any value to the kingdom of God. And I don't want to be on the court going. I want to be usable. I want to be someone that as God works in my life, He actually is able to accomplish things for His glory. Not for me. I don't care. God, if you never know my name, but you know everything about Him, then I've lived my life the way I should. So what does that look like? How do we do it? What is the real work? You ready? Practice, practice, practice. Pistol Pete Maravich, greatest basketball player to ever play the game. If you're a Michael Jordan fan, I understand that, but he can't compare. He didn't go to LSU. Pistol Pete Maravich, there's a documentary, several that have been done, but there was a documentary done on his life. It talked about how he lived his life growing up. His whole life was consumed with basketball. He had a basketball in his hand every moment he possibly could. He would drive down the road, bouncing a basketball out the window of his car. I'm not kidding. He was obsessed. It was all that he could think of. It was how he lived every moment of his life. He became incredibly skilled because he was incredibly gifted and he was incredibly dedicated. And he practiced and he practiced and he practiced. Look at verse 4. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. Now one who abides in him sin, no one who abides in him sins and no one who, is, who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. We're given a contrast here. 
He says, you've been chosen. You're on the team. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've already given your heart to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're on the team. Now, it's time to practice. The real work begins, and what does that look like? Well, there are two options. You can just kind of coast along and, and do things your own way and find yourself really in sin, or you can dedicate yourself to the ways of God. He says it this way very, very firmly. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. And what does he mean by practice sin? Because he goes on to say if, if, if we sin, he who abides in him sins. No one, no one who abides in him sins. So if we abide in him, does that mean, Miss Donna, that we don't ever sin? If that's the case, then I, we're all in trouble. Because we all have sin, right? In fact, the Scripture's already told us that if we say we have no sin, then we're a liar and the truth does not abide in us. So then, if we all still have sin in our lives, then what do we do? The issue is, what are you practicing? What is it that is the natural outflow of your life on an ongoing basis? Is, is your life characterized by your own desires and your own pursuits and your own fleshly lusts and the things that you think are most important to you? Is that what characterizes your life or is your life characterized by a pursuit of righteousness? Which one is true of you? Because it's an either or. It really is a, a black and white thing. There is no gray when it comes to how we live our lives for God. And so what does it look like to practice good practice habits? Because that's important. What are some good practice habits, Luke? Some good practice habits. Some things that we ought to do. So our basketball coach used to tie our left hand behind our back. We had a strap. So we would dribble with our right hand. And then he would tie our right hand behind our back, so we would dribble with our left hand. And we had to learn how to handle this ball in every situation with either hand. Why? Because anything could come up. And so it was a good practice habit to do that. Now, a coach that maybe wasn't, wouldn't be as disciplined would just let his players go out there and do whatever. And in that, you would have a problem. And so God, in His wisdom and in His glory and in His goodness, gave us some good practice habits. Galatians chapter 5. It's on the screen. But the fruit of the Spirit. What is it that God produces in us when we're living in Him? What does it look like to practice righteousness? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. So the things that should characterize our lives are found in these verses. We should have love in our hearts. True love. He talked about it in the verses in the chapter before. We should have a love that compels us to love God so much that we want to obey Him and we want to love our neighbors. We should have joy in our hearts because if you're on the team, if God has chosen you, then that should also bring joy and peace to you because you can't be cut from His team. And kindness and patience and, and faithfulness. Because if you're on his team and you didn't earn it, you didn't deserve it, but he chose you anyway, then who are you to brag about it? And gentleness and self-control. And it's interesting at the end, he says, and against such there is no law. Now look back at verse 4. Everyone who practices sin also practices what? Lawlessness. 
So here he's saying, if you live this way, there's no law that says you shouldn't do that. So then what are some bad practice habits? What are some things that shouldn't be true of us? Because one of the things that shouldn't be true of us if we're playing in a basketball game is we shouldn't decide that we can control the ball like this, which is all you see in the NBA today, by the way. That's called carrying the ball. Any of y'all played long enough ago to remember that that's against the rules? And so you don't carry the ball like this. And so our coach had braces that went on our wrist. And you couldn't turn your wrist. So you dribbled like it was awful hard to control the ball because it had a metal thing in the middle. He did everything he could to try and, and I'm telling you, I'm not sure this stuff was legal. <laughs> he did everything he could to try and instill within us good habits. He wanted us to play on our toes instead of on our flat-footed. And so he bought these shoes that had a, an extension under the ball of your foot and no heel. And so you walked like this. And you played basketball up on your toes like this. We had incredible calves. He wanted to have us avoid the bad practice habits, so he gave us things. So what does it look like to have bad practice habits if you're a believer? 2 Corinthians chapter 12. For I'm afraid that perhaps when I come, Paul's talking to the church at Corinth, and he says, Corey, by the way, a little advertisement for your Bible studies. We're studying 1 Corinthians tonight. So this is the fourth letter. If you want more information on that, be here tonight. For I am afraid that perhaps when I come, I may find you to not be what I wish and may be found by you to not be what you wish. In other words, when I get there and you're not doing what I want, what I know you should do, then you're probably going to see a side of me you don't want to see. So when I get there, that perhaps there will be strife. People arguing about things that don't matter. Jealousy. I want what they have. Angry tempers. If I don't get my way, I'll take my toys and go home. Disputes. Slanders. This one doesn't ever happen in the church, but gossip. Arrogance disturbances. I'm afraid that when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you and I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past and have not repented of the impurity, the immorality, sensuality which they practiced. You hear Paul's heart? It's breaking. Because what's developing and what can develop in our hearts is a sense of lawlessness that we no longer feel like we're bound by the things that we shouldn't be doing. And we feel free to do whatever we want to do. And bad practice habits will quickly develop. Galatians 5, now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality and impurity and sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, Enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions. This one never happens in the church either. Factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I forewarned you, that those who practice those things, what? Those who 
practice those things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what is it that we're practicing? Paul and John are in perfect sync here and saying, you have a choice to make. You're either living your life as though you're on the team because you are part of God's team, or you're living your life for yourself and you're on team you and you're practicing the things that are true for you. Now, I have to tell you, it is not easy to live a life that glorifies God. I'm not here to tell you. Church, you ought to just, well, just do it. That's what Nike would say. No, it's hard. It's hard. You know why? Because we do have an enemy. Because we do have people that would desire to cause difficulties with us. Because we do have a spirit that exists in the, in the heavenly places that desires to tr- take the church off of its track and in doing so leads us to a place where we're not effective for his kingdom. There is opposition out there. But look at verse 8. The one who practices sin is of the devil and the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose. Now listen, extremely important. To destroy the works of the devil. In other words, Jesus came so that that which Satan has done from the beginning, lawlessness, so that that which existed from the very start can be taken away. In other words, you ready for this? Victory is possible. It is possible. You can live your life for the glory of God. The reason that Jesus came was to make it possible to not sin. Before, it wasn't possible for us to not sin. Sin was part of who we were. It was endemic within us. It was a part of the reality of human existence apart from Christ is our lives are sin-filled. But then Jesus came. And when Jesus came, it made all the difference within us. Romans chapter 6 talks at length about the followers of Christ and their relationship to sin. And it matters, guys. It matters enough that he says here that those who practice lawlessness, they're not his. And so if we are part of his team and we want to live our faith out for the world to see and we want to be who God's called us to be and the game is about to start again and we're practicing, we're doing everything we can to get ready, is it possible? New England Patriots a few years ago, I'm sorry, Brother Roger. I know you're a Patriots fan. Went into the Super Bowl undefeated. They were 17-0. They were a juggernaut. They were just an incredible team. Probably on level with the 72 Miami Dolphins who finished undefeated. Just an incredible team. And in the Super Bowl, they got beat. Victory was possible for the underdog in that moment. And victory is possible for you. But I have news for you you're not the underdog. God's betting on you. You have on your side the greater power. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. It is possible because of Christ living in us to live a life that brings glory to God. So how do we do it? We sang a while ago about 
Oh, death, where is your sting? That comes from the passage that I'm about to read. I didn't even know that was, in, that, that was the song this week. In the song it says, Oh, death, where is your sting? The angels roar at Christ our King. I, I want you to picture with me for a moment what heaven looked like the moment that Jesus stretched His arms out on the cross. Picture the angels' faces. And then I want you to picture their faces the moment that stone began to roll away. And those grave clothes fell off. And God Almighty stood up and walked out. Paul says, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us what? The victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved, what? Be steadfast, immovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. It matters. Know that it is not in vain. And so then, because sin is a choice, because practicing sin is our choice, because it's volitional, it always starts with the surrender of our mind. And so I'm going to give you now some practical tools as we get ready to close some practical tools to help you. Because we know that we're on the team. We know that we have to practice. We know that the victory is possible. So how do we walk in that victory? First of all, Paul told us in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, God wants to start, and it always has to start, in the choices that we make, in the volitional reality of our lives. What is it about this moment that is going to bring the most glory to God, not what feels best for me? Not what I desire, but what is the most glorifying to God in this moment? Is there times in my life, guys, if I did what felt good to me, I would be way outside of where God wanted me to be. And so it starts with this transforming. And the word transforming there is a, is a word that God is doing the action. Let God work in you. Let Him be a part of this. Let Him do this. Why? Because our minds are places that, that we tend to, to allow to, to travel and to, and to wander and to find all kinds of things that grab our attention and the lust of the eyes will get our attention and then we will find ourselves making decisions based on those thoughts that come into our minds. And so 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, we're destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. What do you do? You compare that thought. Boy, that apple sure does look good. I bet that apple tastes good too. Man, if I just take a bite of that apple, who knows what might happen? 
You take that thought captive and you say, I want. And then you compare that to God's word. You may eat of any tree of the fruit of the garden except the tree that's in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, that fruit came from that tree. Now, I've taken that thought captive. I've identified what it is that's really going on in my mind. And now I have a choice to make. Jesus, knowing that choice was coming in John 17, 7, said, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Set them apart. Help them compare the truth and the lie. And then choose. Did God call you to make that decision? Or are you making that decision because it's what you want? Because it fulfills a desire of your heart. Because it's just the right thing for me in this moment. I want this, so I'm going to do this. No. James chapter 4, verse 17. Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. And so victory is possible, but it begins by practicing. How often do I have to do this, Brother Justin? Every time. Every time. Some of y'all have been believers a lot longer than me, and I hope that someday you'll tell me it gets easier as you get older. But so far, that's not the case for me. And I have to continually choose time after time after time after time after time after time after time. Not because practice makes perfect, but because perfect practice makes perfect. I must choose Him every time. And when I do, when I do choose righteousness, I'm not bound by, oh man, I have to do that. I'm set free. Because now I get to do that which I know is best. Romans 6.16 Do you not know that when you present yourself to someone as slaves for obedience, you are the slaves of the one whom you obey? Either sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness. Little children, make sure no one who deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. How's practice going? At any moment, the game could start. Are you ready? Are you ready in your heart to be who God's called you to be, to fulfill the role that he's called you to fulfill? Are you ready for what's coming? If you're not, get back out on the court and practice some more. Take it seriously because eternity, eternity is what we're talking about. Father God, I pray right now for the hearts of your people. We're either living as slaves to sin 
or we have surrendered ourselves as slaves to you. And in you, Father, we have freedom and we have victory. And so, Lord, I pray for each one here today. God, help them to answer this question. Who am I living for? What's most important? Not what do I wish were most important, but Father, what is most important to me? And God, as you do that, as you speak to our hearts, bring conviction and bring clarification bring correction bring people back into relationships with one another and with you God make yourself mighty in our midst today let us see your hand at work May we be ready for that which you've called us to. In Jesus' name.